0: It's hard to believe Jesus. On the top things that Jesus said um, that we don't really believe, I would put the third beatitude up there. And when I say it's hard to believe Jesus, I mean it's hard to believe in Jesus' ideas, in the way that he sees the world. For Christians, it's not hard to believe that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, like all the stuff that... Um, all the Christological stuff that the church hammered out in the first few centuries. That doesn't seem to be difficult for us. But what does seem to be difficult for us is to believe Jesus' thoughts on what constituted his vision for being truly human in the kingdom of heaven. His vision for the good life. So when you open your Bibles to Matthew 5, verse 5, and we'll read this together. Matthew 5, verse 5. And I loved reading um, those Beatitudes, Michael and Candy, just slow. One at a time. Matthew 5, 5 says this. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus, again, we just come before you with open scriptures, open hands, open hearts, open ears. And I pray, Spirit, that you would just reveal and speak as we, as we read and we anchor ourselves, Jesus, in your teachings, in your word. These are your words. So God, may we just come and approach it with that. Would you just form in our hearts just a, like a courage to listen and obey your commands? Because we know your promise. that like, It's like on a rock that we build our lives. It's like a firm foundation. And so we just, like we sing, we anchor ourselves in you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. My name is Brandon. I'm excited just to, to go through this, this passage today. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth? It's hard to believe, Jesus. What do you think of when you hear the word meek? It's a strange word. When's the last time you used meek? Never. I, I don't think I ever have. Blessed are the meek, what does that mean? What do you think of when you hear the word meek? What comes to mind? Like if you had to give it like a quick definition just in your, in your head, what, what does meek mean to you? And it's that word we're going to explore today. And it's a posture we're going to explore today. And ultimately we'll see it, but we see this posture in Jesus. And as followers of him, we want to, we want to posture ourselves after him. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we're going to start where Jesus starts. This, isn't, this word, this, this line from Jesus isn't actually original to Jesus. Jesus pulls it from a psalm. And so what I want to show you today, go to Psalms 37. Psalms 37. And Jesus quotes this line directly from the psalms. And we're going to stay mostly in this psalms today. In the psalms, the meek ones are contrasted with the wicked ones who are evil yet thriving, right? It's people not following God's way, but you go in their Instagram account and they're just like living the best life, right? And you're like, man, but like following, I'm, I'm trying to follow the ways of God, but it looks like everybody else who isn't is just having their best life. Even when they're doing things they shouldn't do, it's like they, they look blessed. And Jesus has something else to say about it. What we're gonna see Jesus doing here is he does what any good rabbi in his day would do is he pulls passages from Scripture in the past, and he pulls one line out of it, and he'll do this all throughout the Beatitudes. Um, In Jewish time, it was called stringing pearls. Stringing pearls. It's a phrase used to describe a method from a teacher that would use to get a point across to his apprentices to increase their knowledge of Scripture and the larger story that Scripture tells. He would intentionally say a part of a passage, and intentionally leave some of it off, forcing a student to remember the whole passage and to actually like see the whole thing in light of that one phrase. He'd say one phrase and he would expect his students to know the whole context and it would give it meaning and it would infuse just like life into it. Jesus does this on the cross when he says um, in, when he quotes the first line of Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew records this in Matthew 27, and if you read Matthew 27 and Psalms 22 side by side, Jesus quotes the first line, and you read all of Psalms 22, it comes with it into the story in Matthew 27, and it like explodes life and meaning. Jesus is saying, I am the long-awaited Messiah, but paradoxically crucified on a Roman cross. Jesus says in his third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, which is a line from Psalms 37. So as good apprentices to the master, and by apprentice, I mean disciple. We've kind of, that word just become so commonplace, but it's, it's apprentice. Like we, we look after, we study after, we do what they did, and when we make a mistake, we come back and say, Jesus, I wanna grow. How do I grow in your way? We apprentice to Jesus. And so we come to the master, and we're gonna find out like, what does meek mean, Jesus. So turn to Psalms 37, if you're there, and let's go down to verse 11. Psalms 37, verse 11. And it says this, but the, what's your Bible say? But the meek, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. First, notice that in this passage, it says the meek will inherit the land. In Matthew, it says they'll inherit the earth. Tuck that away. We'll hit that at the end. But let's go on. Let's go now, like a good apprentice. We're going to look at the whole psalm. So just a chunk where we get to verse eleven. Go back to verse one. What is the context of this psalm? Verse one: Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither; like the green plants, they will soon die away. The psalmist starts out. He says, "Don't fret." Don't fret. He's going to say this throughout the rest of the songs. And the word fret there is the Hebrew word karah. Everybody say it. Karah. It sounds, uh, sounds pretty cool. Karah. What does karah mean? It means that your nose gets hot. Think about it for a second. Your nose gets hot. What does that mean? When is the last time your nose got hot? Like if we, if, don't fret. Don't let your nose get hot. Anger, right? This like, oh, what? Like, oh, my nose, it's getting hot. Karah means to burn or be kindled with anger. It could also mean like active worry. It can mean like this agitated, um, provoked reaction that has its roots in a word that's like hot, boiling, seething water, right? The nose become hot. Karah. Don't fret, it says, over this. Don't fret over when it looks like people are not following God's ways. They're thriving. Don't Don't fret. He goes on to say, verse 3, let's keep going. Trust in the Lord. So don't fret, but trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. Don't fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. What does it mean to be meek? Do do we see some of it here? We're getting that picture of what it means to be meek. Instead of fretting, letting our nose get hot, what do we do instead? We're meek by waiting, trusting, dwelling, enjoying, cultivating, delighting, committing. A patience that refrains from anger and wrath, a hope that is in the Lord. Let's read verse 11 after reading all of that. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. We can look around at the wicked and prospering and suffering and see no justice or hope. And the heart of this Psalms that even though it seems like everything, they're suffering, things aren't going well, God sees the meek who are not responding in kind, but are choosing the stilled trust in the Lord. And probably like you, if you take 30 verse psalms 37 you just you hear it and you kind of imagine your life and the things that are in your world right now you turn and you look at the situation and you're like this is how i want to react this is what i want to do and god says no it's, it's how do followers of jesus respond what do we do in times of suffering what do we do in times when when it looks like evil is getting its way what do we do in times when things are out of control jesus's first original audience that he's he's telling this to they find themselves in this position as they're under the boot of rome and they're trying to figure out what do we do with the problem of the romans how do god's people respond when we're like we're not in exile out of the land but we're in the land and kind of in exile like god we're like the kingdom of god is supposed to be here and instead it's a roman emperor like overruling them and they're oppressed And what did they do? How did the people at that time respond? Well, one, they said, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what the tax collectors did. You have some others who start like heightened religious observance and performance. If you can just do the right thing, God will change it. This was the project of the Pharisees. Others turned to politics and made an alliance and allegiance. And those were the Sadducees. Others said, forget this mess, and like ran away to the desert to start over. Those were the Essenes. And finally, others turned to like violent resistance to stop the Romans and the Greek influence on the Jewish culture at whatever it took. These were the zealots. You had a people responding in these ways, in various ways. And it's in this atmosphere that Jesus is teaching, this atmosphere that Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's be honest. Do we actually believe this from Jesus? Who, who gets the earth? At the end of the day, who actually gets to be vindicated? When the Roman soldiers who are stationed in Tiberias are standing, like imagine just them standing at the edge of this crowd where Jesus is teaching And they're listening to Jesus' statement, blessed are the meek. I imagine these Roman soldiers looking towards each other just with a smirk, right? They know better. They know how the real world is run. Rome ruled the world from England to India. Caesar had conquered the world, and the Roman Empire inherited the earth. The Romans didn't get the earth by being meek. Rome ruled the world because they were smart, they were strong, they were ruthless, and they were willing to make war to secure their power. And here is a poor Galilean rabbi announcing and reminding his audience that the meek will inherit the earth. This is crazy talk. And I'm sure the Romans thought the same things and had a good laugh. And that's why it's hard to believe Jesus. Our problem with the Beatitudes, as we'll read, is they just don't seem practical, Jesus. We probably fail to recognize meekness because I think we just kind of fail to recognize its true nature. It's become a word we actually don't even use anymore because we don't even like, what is it? And how do we like, embody that? And how do we like, follow Jesus in this way? On a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, theologian Scott McKnight says this, The meek are those who suffer and have been humbled, and yet do not seek revenge, but God's glory, and the welfare of others. In other words, they lovingly trust God and hope in God's timing and justice. And So for us this morning, I think the best and easiest way to define meek was that Jesus was meek. In the book of Matthew, the adjective that we use for meek is praus, and it's used three times. Once here in Matthew 5.5, 5, blessed are the meek. But in other times in scripture, it's often um, translated gentleness. In Matthew 11.29, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Same word, I'm meek. And humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And in Matthew 21.5, Jesus is going to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah of a meek king riding victoriously into Jerusalem on a donkey. It says, says to my daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle, or prouse, meek, riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And in the New Testament, that word is used so often as gentleness, the same word. For example, Paul uses it in Galatians. Gentleness, meekness, is a fruit of the Spirit, directly before self-control. And as we apprentice Jesus, meekness was his posture and something that should be a mark of a disciple of his. Only the meek, listen to this, only the meek restrain their strength to trust in God. Those who trust in God's timing are those who trust with a non-conforming, non-reactive patience are meek. So we see that Jesus is meek. But if you're like me, you're just like, okay, what does that mean? We're instructed towards meekness, but how? How do we do that? How do we, like, how do we practice this? How do, what does it look like in your life? So I want to help us understand meekness um, this morning. And to do that, we needed to look at a sister word of meekness. So we're going to look at another word that's close, and I think it's going to give us like, an idea of how to understand it. Um, it's like if you have a friend um, who you're really close to and you love them, but they have a really quirky personality, right? And you're just kind of like, why do you do that? Like, I don't, I don't understand that. And then you go to a party at a barbecue they invite you to, and their, their mom's there, and their siblings are there, and they start talking, and they're like, oh, they're all doing the quirky thing, right? And you're like, I get you now, right? I get, I get what this is. I know, like, I, I understand this a little bit more. Meekness's quirky family trait is patience. Both words are often paired together through Scripture, In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, like, listen, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, which is our word for meekness, and patience. Here they're tied together. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3, but be completely humble and gentle, meek, be patient is the next word bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Often they are tied together, meekness and patience. And so I want to look at patience with you this morning. And I want to go an interesting route. Because I think also, too, we don't know what patience is. Just, we just don't know words, I'm learning. Like, what is, what is patience? Like, how do I, I, I think I know what it is. But I want to explore something with you that just meant a lot to me, because I saw that it, like, it, roots in our Christian history patience was like one of the bedrocked virtues and postures at the early church and that they learned from Jesus and what kept them thriving in a culture that was so against the way of Jesus they turned towards patience in a book um the patient ferment of the early church by Alan Kreider this is like it's an amazing book I um I'd love for you to read it, Um, explores the improbable rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Why did Christianity in the Roman Empire grow to be the dominant religion in such a powerful, pagan, like, against-it culture? Two things that Kreider notes, and he explores, is this. One, it was the community's deep practice of the way of Jesus, particularly the Sermon on the Mount. Rooted in listen this rooted in the community's practice of patience. Patience. Patience means to means the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. It comes from the Latin word to suffer. And in his chapter on patience, Crider explores much of like the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century Christians, and they would write about patience all the time. It's fascinating. In the, um, according to, I'll just give you why. Why it's fascinating is because they could have written about a, a bunch of other stuff, but they focus on this. Um, so I want to just give you three little just sneak pits just into our history of how we practiced patience. According to Justin Martyr, who was killed in 165, like 130 years after Jesus, in Rome he was killed. And reflecting on justice, Justin Martyr, Krieger writes this, according to Justin, listen, patience is central to the life of the community in Rome. Turning the other cheek when someone hits them in the face, giving their tunics when someone who takes their cloak, avoiding the incendiary sin of anger, and if they are compelled to go one mile, go two. All that from the Sermon on the Mount. When people, this is a martyr, when people see Christians behaving like this, they wonder at God, whom the Christians say motivate their behavior. So it's important for Christians not to quarrel like other people, and they must live their good works visibly in the sight of others. Then, when Christians live with integrity and visibility by our patience and meekness, Justin writes, Christians will draw all men from shame and evil desires according to justin patience attracts people he sets up patience and meekness as partners and with meekness is not like highly thinking of yourself and patience as enduring and this is a definitive mark as the apprentice of jesus Krager shows origen says this origen who lived in 254 said patience was the virtue that's peculiarly ours like this is our virtue and it distinguishes christians from the other from other people. Last one, um, Cyprian, who was the Bishop of Carthage, I know it's like a history lesson today, hang in there. Cyprian, who was the Bishop of Carthage in 256, they went through the church an intense time of persecution. The Roman emperor, imagine this like all of us, demanded that all of the citizens of Rome had to sacrifice to the gods and burn incense to the emperor. Cyprian, in response to this, is exiled. Some people in his church decide to sacrifice to the gods, to renounce Jesus, and to to burn incense to Rome, to the Roman Empire. Some stay faithful and get imprisoned, and some of those who are imprisoned get killed. And when the persecution is over in Carthage, the church kind of comes back together, and the tension between those who lapsed and those who stayed faithful was thick. Thick, can you imagine that? Some people said, we stayed faithful And some people said, we didn't. And the tension between the church. Cyprian, in this environment, writes his like magnum opus on patience. And I'll end with this. It's his quote. I just love this. Cyprian says this. Nothing else distinguishes the unjust from the just more than this. That in adversities, the unjust man complains and blasphemes because of impatience. While the just man is proved by patience, patience is the distinctive sign of a Christian. It enables believers to live in the way of Christ amidst the crisis of their lives. Patience will temper anger, bridle the tongue, govern the mind, guard peace, extinguish the fires of dissension, restrain the power of the wealthy, teach us to pardon our offenders quickly and ask pardon uh, from others. He ends with this, patience directs our actions so that we keep the way of Christ while we make progress because of his forbearance. It ensures our preservation as sons and daughters to God while we imitate the patience of the Father. The early church over like over all of the continents, saw patience and meekness as the antidote for a sick world and an attraction for those caught in it. Patience. Parents in here, if you've ever experienced an impatient kid, um, you know what impatience is, right? Right? a hyper focus on situation, loses endurance with any delay, hurried eagerness for something expected, restlessness, anxiousness, intolerance, irritated, angry. If you're a parent, you've seen this in a kid before, right? Be patient. We want to teach patience. Imagine for with me a second that you just, you encounter somebody's kid who's just killing the patient game, right? They're just like, they're like, wow, you're like incredibly patient. Like, oh, Disneyland's closed again, dad. That's okay. I trust you. and I trust your timing. Whatever you think's best, dad, right? Like, I'll stay faithful. In the same way, the spirit desires to grow in us patience that is rooted in trust in the goodness of the father. Why does this matter? I want to propose to you that in the body of Christ in America, we are severely lacking in this fruit from the Spirit. And that the Spirit eagerly wants to produce that in us patience. As the early church fathers in the second, third century believed that patience was the defining character of the church in a culture that was, that was pushing against, in a society that was moving away from Jesus, Origen said, as we practice our patience, may they wonder at the God whom Christians say motivate their behavior. Patience attracts people. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessing is not primarily about what God promises to do to somebody. It's primarily about what God is going to do through somebody. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. In other words, when God wants to sort the world out, to put it to right, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in people who are meek, who practice meekness. Patience, as we looked at, is meekness in practice. Patience is meekness in practice. We might not know like what meekness is, but we can, we, can, we can see what patient endurance is. And as we practice that, we become like Jesus is, like listening to the Father, only doing what he sees the Father doing, meek. And as we practice patience through the power of the Holy Spirit, we prepare ourselves to endure suffering faithfully in any circumstance. It's really unfortunate that the English word meek rhymes with weak right? Too often we think they're synonymous. They're not. Meekness is not weakness. The meek are those who possess a potent strength, and that strength is their faith in God. Or say it again, that strength is their trust that God sees the affairs of men that oversees the world and will personally guarantee their portion of the earth. Meekness is power under control and the refusal to be shaped by aggressive grabbing, but instead humbly trusting and receiving. These are the people who inherit the earth. Do you see the upside-downness of the kingdom? When things aren't going our way, when suffering comes, when pandemics come, when we have relational disasters and they strike, when it seems like evil people are getting away with it, what is our natural tendency Our natural tendency is to fix it, to worry about it, to start to control, to start to grab, to take matters into our own hands. And the Spirit's invitation to us is to trust, is to renew our trust in God. So we practice and we embody patience. Back to Psalms 37. Go back to verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who are wrong, for like the grass they will soon wither and like plants they will soon die away. I love that metaphor. Um, I live by the, um, the nature kind of reserve where Truxton ends at coffee and, and I pass by this little nature reserve every, every day almost. And around this time of the year when we get a little bit of rain, And this field that is normally brown just bursts into life and it's just green and it looks like Ireland. And all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, like it's beautiful, right? But what happens within two months? Back to Bakersfield brown, baby, right? Just like that quickly. It withers. It goes back to brown. It has no longevity. But in that same preserve right now, where there's no water in the riverbed, I've seen it in my nine years here, three times there's water there. And in that dry preserve, there's these green trees that stay green all year long. Why? There's another beatitude, another blessed R. will read it to you. It's in Jeremiah 17. It says this, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Those trees are green because they have deep roots. They found deep water. When suffering of any kind comes, when life comes out of control, we have a choice to shoot our roots down deep. Our roots down deep. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So how do we practice it? Like, what do I do? If, I, if I'm like, God, I want to I embody this patience, I want to embody this trust, what do, where do I start? And as we were praying and pre-gathering prayer today, um, I think Liz was praying this. And just like this like sense of like repenting of where we haven't trusted in God. Repenting means to change your mind, t- to turn a different way. But it's like, man, I need to change my mind about where I'm trusting God. In this part of my life, I'm just still trying to control and grab instead of saying, God, like, like I want your will to be done here. So we're going to read Psalms 37 again that we read earlier. And in it, the psalmist gives us, like, start here. This is how you practice patience in the life of an apprentice of Jesus. I want to read it again, and I just want to ask the Spirit, God, what do you have for us in this? Holy Spirit, we just thank you for the word. We thank you that we get to gather and to listen. And I just pray as we read the Psalms again, Holy Spirit, would you just like um, lead us to, to the one that you want for our lives and our situation? Would you meet us, God? You, Holy Spirit, the comforter. And God, would you remind us again to like shoot our roots down deep into you? God, that we become people that model after Jesus. So let's read verse three. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Trust means to lean your weight on something. It's to fall into something completely. And maybe you've like, had your trust bucket just poured out. Maybe you've lost it with other people and even other Jesus followers, for that matter. And so you've kind of said, like, I can't even trust God. Put your trust in God, the psalmist says. This morning, maybe there's an invitation to renew your trust. Lean your weight, your hopes, your dreams, your aspiration, your healing, all that you are on him. The Father can take the weight. Let's keep reading. Trust in the Lord and do good. Our lives and our work matter. Waiting, trusting, patience, meekness. In the Lord, it's not passivity. It's not doing nothing, it's do something. As apprentices of Jesus, what you do with our time and our hands, our work matters, whatever it is. And we participate in the in-breaking kingdom of God right now, like the renewal, shalom in the earth. When we pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, it's not like a resonation prayer. Like there's nothing I can do, God, I hope you fix the world. It's a prayer of participation. Give yourself. Give yourself something that's about God's kingdom. Do good. Next, next line, dwell in the land. The psalmist is gonna show us this is what we're doing. Dwell in the land. Invest your life where you are with contentment. Be here. Be present. What is contentment? It's when your life is enough. Like when you're satisfied with where you are, when you are, and who you are. You don't look longingly at another person's story. It's enjoying and being in the story that God has for you right now. Paul says he learned how to be content. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord. Notice that's a command. Take delight in the Lord cultivate joy that comes from time in his presence, delighting in God when you look to him for your identity, fulfillment, purpose, validation, instead of looking to others to notice you, you and your heart are wrapped up in what God thinks. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord wherever you are right now. Commit your way to the Lord, and maybe whatever's in front of you, whatever decision you need to make this week and like your living and your family and your work, would you commit it to Jesus? It's like saying, God, like, here's here's the route I'm on. I'm heading, I believe it's from you, but I, I just pray that you would lead the way in this and that you would correct if I'm not, that you would commit your way to the Lord. Verse seven, skip down. Be still before the Lord. slow down. Take a deep breath, right? Stop fighting, stop hustling to control your life. The Lord is near. Be still and know him. Where we pause in his presence and rely on his strength and he will renew your strength. Be still before the Lord, verse seven says, and wait patiently for him. As we practice patience. In cultivating, trusting, doing, dwelling, enjoying, delighting, committing, refraining. It's of a man and woman, like practicing, of of walking with God into the future. And the last thing, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Don't fret, it leads only to evil. Man. The NLT version, the New Living Translation, just says, stop being angry, it leads to harm. Jesus hits anger later in the sermon, so I'm not gonna, like, camp on it too much. But anger? Get rid of it. For some crazy reason, um, we've kind of made anger like a virtue, like someone's just really holy and passionate, right? But all throughout the New Testament, anger is almost always in the vice list. It's always in the sins of the flesh. And I know, yeah, that scripture that says, be angry and do not sin, you're right, it says that. But the whole verse says in Ephesians 4, 8, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger while you're... Do not let the sun go down while you are angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, you might be angry, don't sin, get rid of it as quickly as you can before the sun goes down. Why? Because it gives a foothold for Satan. We trust God and say, God, there is anger but I I get rid of it. As this psalmist says, it leads only to evil. Meekness is a posture of trust, which is a posture of receiving. And the psalm says, blessed are the people who will inherit the land. There is a land, a life rich of God's blessing, but so much of it depends on how we wait well. Patience. In Matthew, we read that they will inherit the earth, And we Westerners hear earth and we think globe, like don't think globe. The first century did not know what a globe was, but they knew what land was, right? They knew what promised land was. And Israel knew a lot about that, and they just were anticipating God's coming, shalom, back to the garden, dwelling rightly with God and how it was supposed to be. And you know what? It actually wasn't like that. The powerful, the violent, the greedy, the winner takes all, the prideful, the successful, and the mighty, they possessed the land. But Jesus says it's the meek who will inherit the land. Inherited money has a security to it, doesn't it? I didn't earn it. It was gifted to me. The opposite is when I earn it and when I have to keep working, there's this insecurity for it. But the meek are those who can rest their future inheritance in God. When we trust God, the meek will inherit the earth. And God sees, and God will restore, and God will give peace, and God will give shalom, and God will meet us in that place of need. I say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. We model meekness. And we ask, and Jesus asks us to follow him into that posture of patience. And we'll end with this. Philippians 2 says this. This is about Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and heaven and earth under his, and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was meek and invites us into that. It's hard to believe Jesus, but this is the way of the kingdom of God. It's like when Jesus taught some of the difficult teachings in John 6, and many of his apprentices of Jesus left following him, and Jesus turns to the 12 disciples left and says, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say to Jesus? Peter says, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We're going to go into a time of response where we worship, where we take the bread and the cup, we actually remember Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. We take communion every Sunday. It's what we gather around. And in community, we just recognize the presence of Jesus here among us. And so I want to encourage you, just as we worship and and as we worship Jesus and as we take the bread and cup, just to ask the Holy Spirit, like, God, where do you want to work in my life? That where is there areas where I'm just grabbing here instead of trusting? And let him speak and let him heal and let him restore. As we say, God, I want to trust you in this. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you for this morning that we get to worship you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. God, I pray that you would just give us like this, this assurance and courage that we can, we can trust you, that you would remind us of your faithfulness from generation to generation. And like this just assurance of like, I can trust Jesus in this area would just come. Holy Spirit, I just pray for those parts of our hearts where we are just, there's just like, I don't know if I can trust you here, God, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak into those in this time. God, that you would restore trust. God, that you would meet people, that your presence would um, just be uniquely here as we worship you, Jesus, as we praise you. God, you are worthy of that worship, worthy of that praise. In your name we pray, amen.